I believe in the power of the name of Jesus. And I would say, you're sitting in the very manifestation of that power. This church is a manifestation of the power of Jesus Christ. There's no question about it. And I would say this, a couple of weeks ago, we had an anointing service up here. And a number of people that were anointed that day have come to me and told me they were healed. A number, all right? Uh, they've been healed. Uh, and that's not anything within us, not any our power that we have, not any magic oil. It is a power of the submission of the human heart before the throne of God and he and his love reaching out and healing people. It's amazing. Uh, and it's appropriate as I start with this commentary because today's sermon is about understanding the love of God. Uh, and this is part seven of that ongoing series, and you can get it if you go to the website, naplesgathering.org. You can get it from the beginning. I'd love to have you get that, share it with your friends and family. You'll get a deeper understanding of the character of God. And today we're going to study and focus on the love of God the love of God. The vast majority of humanity has no idea, you see, about the love of God. They don't feel it. They don't experience it. They don't, dis don't really don't discern it. It is completely different from any kind of love that we experience as human beings. Uh, and so as I begin this sermon today, I want to start with the scripture that focuses in on that, and that is 1 John Chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Isn't that true? How can the world know what we are as Christians or what we have invested in us when they never understood God? And so even though we have the spirit of God within us as we've been called to serve him, the world does not understand it. Our world, you see, is truly bereft of love. Now, a number of years ago, one of my favorite composers, Burt Bacharach, uh, wrote a song that swept to popularity. In fact, over time, over a thousand different performers recorded it. And the song is called, What the World Needs Now is love, sweet love. Uh, on another time, I might sing it for you. <laughs> but the song was so popular, you see, because it resonated with all kinds of people. Because everyone in this world wants to feel love. They all want to love. People of all ages were touched by that song. Uh, and it makes me think today, what would your home be like if you were filled with the love of God, imagine what it would be like if you were able to reach out to your friends and your family and those around you with the true, profound love of God. And they started to love others more. Can you imagine, really, how this world would change? Can you imagine how this world would suddenly become an awesome place to live? Now, since we understand that the world would be nicer and kinder, uh, what is the problem? What is the problem? Well, the problem very simply is the human spirit. This is a spirit that is sold out to sin and narcissism. And it's not interested, really, in understanding the love of God. 
And so that is why I believe that for humanity, understanding the profound nature of the love of God, it is difficult to get our arms around it and understand it. Now, regardless, you see, of our station in life, everyone is looking to be loved. Uh, there is a universal need among humanity to be loved. Now, marriages often fail because we start to look for love in all the wrong places. Uh, and so we have to understand that the source of this love, this true, profound, deep, uh, and unrelenting love is God himself. There's no other way that you can be loved other than the way God can love you. No one can give us the very love that the creator has given us. And so God loves to give you your deepest needs. He wants to reach out to you and make you feel that. Uh, and so the God who created the universe wants to love you unconditionally. Now you see there's a major disconnect uh, between the need and the answer for it. There's a major disconnect. The average person is not experiencing the love of God, not at all. Part of that reason is that most people do not even know that that kind of love is available to them. They don't even understand that. Uh, many of these people may even believe that God exists. They may even believe that God loves them, but they have not truly experienced the love of God. And so for most people, and I'll say a number of people, it's as if you were standing in the ocean uh, up to your ankles, and the tide comes in, and the tide goes out, and the waves come, and the waves go, but you never really get wet, you see? You keep waiting for a wave or the tide to rise and overwhelm you, and it doesn't work like that. It's only when you decide to dive in and experience the love of God that God pours his love over you. And so a good working definition of God's love would be as follows. God's love is his holy disposition towards all that he has created that compels him to express his unconditional affection and correction to provide the highest quality of existence, both now and forever, for the object of his love. And you, my brothers and sisters, are the object of his love. Look at what that says, which I think is so true. Unconditional affection. He loved you even when you didn't love him. Even as you shook your fist at him and didn't want any part of you, yet he loved you. And he corrects you. He corrects you in order to give you the highest quality of life here, now, in this world, and in the world to come. You see, that is true, profound, godly love. Now, God does not love you like anyone else in your life. Uh, actually, he loves you a lot better. And his love towards you varies in quantity and quality from time to time. Uh, his holy disposition towards you is created for all his creation, not just the good or the obedient. And that is something I learned as I uh, prayed and wrote this sermon. Uh, the source of this loving disposition is God. It is not the object of God, not the object of his love. Meaning what? Meaning even when you're outside of his will, he still loves you. 
Remember, he sent Jesus to die on the cross, even as you were a sinner. And so God recognizes that you are his creation. He loves you, and he looks to draw you toward him. And so his nature and character really compel him to express his love towards you in unconditional affection in every possible way. Now, God is affectionate and gracious even when we're good, and he's affectionate and gracious even when we're not good, which means that includes correction. Uh, God cares so much for you, loves you so much, that he determines what actions in your life would be harmful, and he puts guardrails up so that you will hit the guardrails and strike the guardrails and come back into the center of his will. He disciplines us and brings us back in line. And I want to share a story in my life that talks about human correction and understanding, really, that my parents loved me even as I was beaten. Uh, and it goes, back to, it goes back to being about the age of 10, 11. And you know, in those days, uh, you could hit your kids and you didn't go to jail. And looking out at this congregation, I would say that that represents most of you folks. So you understand that. Now today, you raise your head, hand, and the next thing you know, child development is at your house and you're hauled off to jail and you need a lawyer. Don't call me. I got my hands full. But you understand that. But in those days, it was different. So here's the thing. I'm 10, 11. At that point, I was as big as my mother, maybe a little bit bigger. Uh, and, you know, my mother would try to discipline me, and I would fend her off, you know, fend her off. And she would say, wait till your father gets home. Wait till you get father. Now, understand what my father was living with. Here he was. He was preaching in church uh, three times a week. But the church couldn't afford to pay him, so he needed a job in order to sustain us. And so he had a job in a foundry, in a bronze foundry, where the temperatures were well over 100 degrees. And he would be pouring these bronze castings. And the castings were so powerful that it actually get into his pores. And he would perspire a brown, bronze uh, nature sweat. Now, this poor guy has been there from 7 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock at night. He drives home. He pulls in front of our house. And as he gets out of the car, my mother has warned me, wait till your father gets home. That meant I had 50 feet, 50 feet to make my case from the time he got out of his car to when he got into the house. And that 50 feet trained me to be a better lawyer than anything I learned in law school. Because I knew I had to make my case quickly, profoundly, and succinctly. Dead. You're about to hear a pack of lies from mommy. None of it is true. I didn't do anything. She did. She's all lying. It's not true. Don't believe a word that she says. He walks into the house, and shortly thereafter, bang, boom, bomb. All right? And I got hit. Now, here's the question. Did I ever think that my father didn't love me? No. My mother, mm, I wasn't so <laughs> But I never thought that they didn't love me, even as I received the blows, because I knew where their heart was. I saw how they were in every aspect of my life. It's the same with God. You understand? Even as he corrects you and draws you in and brings you back to the center of his will, he loves you profoundly. And that's what this is about, the ability to correct us in every way. And so he wants to give you the highest 
quality of life. Whether it's in experiencing pain or suffering or pleasure, his ultimate goal is to bring you into the center of his will. He wants you to be like Jesus Christ in every way. And so this kind of unrelenting love, unconditional love, is called in the Greek agape, agape love. It is a love characterized by giving and a sacrificial nature. It is unconditional and it is boundless. That is the nature of your God, agape love. It is best signified in scripture in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, that is agape love, all right? God would bankrupt heaven to send the darling of heaven to this world to put on the cross for you, for you specifically, with your name written on his hand. Now, one of the best scriptures about God's love is found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. And there it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What an incredible verse. How high and wide and deep uh, and long is the measure of God's love. You can't even begin to fully understand the depth of it. Now, we struggle to um, understand and comprehend God's love. In our human relationships, uh, we have been conditioned to measure love by what we do and what we get. I call our human love the quid pro quo of life. You understand that. I taught you what quid pro quo was. This for that. What do I have to put in this hand in order to get this hand? In other words, yes, uh, I'll love you, but what will you give me because I love you? What will you do for me because I love you? And yet God loves you even when you were a sinner, even when you were abandoning him, even when you were adverse to him in every way. And so you see the profound difference between God's love and our puny, misguided, narcissistic measure of human love. And so God's love, he wants to bring you in. He wants to make you more like Jesus with this love. And he, his, his love, you see, responds with the perfect mix of restraint, patience, and discipline. It's all together. Yes, we need to be disciplined. Yes, we need to be corrected. But yes, we need to be loved and hugged and affirmed. Now, the following theological positions on God's love ought to resonate strongly with us. First, first, God's thoughts, intentions, desires, and plans for you are always for your good. Everything, every aspect of his love is for your good. Look, if you would, at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. For I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's your God. 
He loves you. He has incredible plans for you to prosper you, to lift you up in every possible way. You can trust God's intentions. Uh, even when you don't really know because of the surroundings or what you're going through, God sees the big picture. He doesn't just see you now in this world. He sees you in eternity, and he's designed everything for your uh, benefit, not just here, but forever in glory. Now, second, God is kind, open, affectionate, approachable, frank, and eager to be your friend. Are you kidding me? The God of the universe, the God who has created everything, wants to be my friend? That's right. Scripture makes it very clear. Look at John 15, verse 12. Jesus speaks frankly on this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. God wants to be your friend. He is the most loyal, attentive friend that you could possibly ever have. When Jesus said it right there, he told his disciples, I want to be your friend. That's God speaking. He wants to be your friend. Now, third, God identifies with your pain, with your joy, with your hopes, and with your dreams. Look at John 11, verse 33, and I love this passage. I, I mention it almost at every funeral that I ever do because it really signifies the heart of God. Uh, and it's Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then the shortest verse in the entire Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And I would say to you, although he is the God of the universe, your pain causes him pain. Now, why did Jesus weep right outside the tomb of Lazarus? Why did he weep? He wept because, not because he wasn't going to bring him out from death. He knew he was going to raise him from the death. He knew that Lazarus would shortly walk out and stun the crowd. But he was sorrowful because he looked around and saw the nature of humanity, that they sat there and wept because of death. And here's the thing. God never intended this creation to die. We were to live forever in communion with God in the Garden of Eden. That's what he intended for us. This is what he wanted, and yet we rebelled against that. And in our rebellion and sin, sin entered this world, as Lucifer brought it, and the entire creation craters, not just humanity suffering death, but all of creation. And not only that, the whole very weather systems and earthquakes and the planet itself continues to feel the impact of sin. It is all cratering. And Jesus knew it. And his heart broke for that uh, because he loves us. And so I want you to recognize this. When there is tragedy in your life, 
Jesus knows it. And when he sees that tragedy, he weeps for you. He prays for you. He stands there interceding at the right hand of God for you. He did it with the family of Lazarus, and he does it even today in every powerful way. Now, here's the point. Fourth, he takes pleasure in you just for who you are completely aside from your accomplishments. You see, God loves you no matter where you are, no matter what kind of person you are. He loves you as he wants you to come back to him. Look at Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God feels about you. Even as you were a sinner, God put Jesus on the cross to die for you. This, this is an under, really a major statement of the love of God in every probable way. And so fifth, God is actively and creatively orchestrating people and circumstances and events in your life uh, in order to provide you for your highest good. That's what Romans 8.28 means, you see, that he's there basically moving the pieces around because you've gone with him. You've given him your heart. He loves you, and he is giving you the highest possible good in every possible way. That's how he orchestrates your life, you see, when you give him your life. That's the nature of the love of God. Now, how has God revealed his love to us? And how can we tell a lost world about the love of God? Well, he's done it in several ways. He has revealed his love first through creation. Uh, and in that, we are like God, created like God, because we represent him in creation. Uh, he made us be responsible for this world, and we have been created for him. He created us so that he would have a relationship with us. Can you imagine? That's who your God is. He created you for that very relationship. Now, God has also revealed his love through providence. That means his general kindness to this world. And his kindness is revealed to everyone, not just to the good. He bestows countless benefits in this world uh, on us every day, whether we acknowledge him or not. And that's the nature of God. And sometimes we have a hard time accepting the fact that God can express his compassion on people that don't deserve it. And you know what I mean. You see that from time to time, and it, it can be upsetting to us as Christians. But scripture supports that very position. Look at Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, verse 44, the very words of our Lord. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is the nature of how God loves, you see. It is an unconditional love, all right? God just doesn't express love to those who have loved him back. He loves everyone because he wants everyone to come back to him. 
uh, and to respond to him. All of God's providence, all of us, all of it serves as his invitation to all people to respond to him. That's what he wants. Now, God's love to us is also revealed through the incarnation. Now, Jesus described this in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There it is. That's why Jesus came. He came to save and bring the lost back to God. Now, Jesus wrote three, spoke about three parables on this issue. Uh, and that was the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the prodigal son. And those of you who know that uh, know how profound those parables were. That in each one of those cases, God would go to every possible extent to bring in the lost. You know it for sure in the prodigal son as the young boy who repudiated the father, took his inheritance and wasted it on riotous living. Finally, when he comes back and repents, Father, let me be one of your servants. And, and the father puts a ring on his finger, puts a robe on him, and restores him to his position. That's what God wants for you. That's what he wants for your family, for his friends. He wants you to know that. That's the extent and the profound nature of the love of God. And so you see the incarnation of Jesus clearly demonstrates the extent and depth of God's love. Uh, and Jesus, God also reveals uh, his love when he chastens us and protects us from ourselves. This is something you need to learn. God sees you. He sees your conduct. And he knows when your conduct is bringing you away from him. He sees down the road when you don't see down the road. And he sees the steps that you are taking in your life that will ultimately lead to destruction. Hebrews 12 says as follows, the Lord punishes everyone he accepts as a son. And just like my father who did that to me, God is your father. And he's correcting you because he loves you. Uh, and, I, and I take preciously all the times that my father corrected me because I knew that he had my best intentions in mind uh, and that everything that he did ultimately would draw me here uh, to this pulpit, uh, not recognizing it really at the time. Who knew? I didn't know that. My thought my life was going down the left lane and all of a sudden God put a guardrail up and here it is over here in the right lane. And it's the same with you, seeing the powerful extent of the love of God are very hardships. And let me say this to you, because I know a number of you are suffering right now. I want to tell you this. Your very hardship is the proof that God loves you. I know this. This is a hard thing for me to say. It's a hard thing for me to explain, but I want you to know that. Because he sees eternity. He sees eternity, and he loves you that way. Now, the fifth revelation of the way that God loves us is that his love comes through the Holy Spirit. Now, our awareness of God, of God's love, is real, revealed to us through the working of his Holy Spirit. Now, you understand this. When you accept Christ Jesus, you bow to him, and you say, Lord, I need a Savior, instantaneously, God reaches across eternity and implants you with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. And so, that point forward... It's with you to affirm you, to lift you, to correct you, 
and to love you. You need to understand this. It's there for you. Uh, and the proof that the Spirit is working for you is when you're discouraged and you're down and suddenly the phone rings and it's somebody from church telling you they love you and telling them that they pray you. And as you read scripture during these periods of dark times, the very reading of the scripture touches your heart and you are lifted up. You see, that's how God does it. That's how he works. That is the Holy Spirit. That is the expression of his love. Now, God's ultimate expression of love came in the form of Jesus Christ. Many people will say they believe in God, but still reject Jesus Christ. Well, let me make it very clear to you. Jesus is the exact representation and fullness of God. You cannot experience the love of God unless you accept Jesus Christ. Amen, church? It's important. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. Look, Jesus is defining who God is is in every way. You can see all of God's attributes through Jesus Christ. He touched the untouchables. Uh, he spoke to the forsaken, and he reached the unreachable. That is God. That is the love of God. Now, God's love is also revealed through the teaching of Jesus Christ. Through the parables, we see the Father in searching every day for the lost, waiting for us to come back home. Jesus also demonstrated the love of God and the profound nature of the love of God by the giving of his life on the cross. He laid down his life voluntarily for you because of the love of God. Now, how do we respond to God's love? How do we respond? What's the practical here as you leave church? Well, first, we must receive his love into our hearts daily, uh, and we do this by faith, by prayer, by supplication. Uh, his God's love has been delivered to many of us, but we've left it at the doorstep. We haven't accepted it. By faith, you see, we can take that love into our hearts. And the result of taking that love into your heart will last a lifetime. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. And this is the key to experiencing the love of God and living with the love of God. 1 John Chapter 4, verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. So what do we do? What's the practical today in your life as we leave this church after hearing this sermon? Well, here it is. As we reflect on the all-encompassing love of God, we need to first ask God for help in grasping the nature of his love. 
This should be a part of your regular prayer life. You need to ask God, God, let me feel your love. Father, fill me with your love. Help me to be more loving, Lord. I want it and I need it from your spirit. That should be a part of your regular prayer life. Now, when you fully experience the love of Christ, although you may not fully grasp it immediately, you will be filled, you see, uh, with the fullness of life, with the joy of life, and the power that comes only from God. You will experience every aspect of that. Now, one of the best ways we know uh, that we have received the love of God in our hearts is when we begin bestowing love on other people. It's in a major uh, ironic message, meaning what? As God gives you the love, pours the love in your heart, you then pour it out to others, to your family, to your friends, to the community. And as you do this, God pours more love in to replace what you've done. It is never ending. Jesus made this abundantly clear as this is the gift that never ends. It keeps on giving. He said in John 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so church, I say this to you today, love one another. Love each other. Love each other here in the church. Love your family and your spouse and your children, not waiting not the quid pro quo of human love, but the unconditional love of God that he's given you. Love him with that fullness. And I will assure you that as you love, as you dispense, as you reach out even to people who are unlovable, that God will touch them. They will see what you're doing and it will impact them in a profound way. Look, this is not just a command by Jesus. This is a calling. When you pick up the cross for Christ, you are called to love one another. This is a profound understanding in this message. And so what kind of love is it if you see a brother in need? You see someone in need, and yet you're like the priest and the Levite, and you walk on the other side of the street. That is not love. That's narcissism. We're about love. We're about walking with him. We're about serving him. We're about giving everything that he has given us and giving it back to those who need it. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for the message that you have given us today about the nature of love, Father. We are humbled when we see this kind of love, this agape love, which is so foreign to us because we just are filled with the narcissism of the human spirit, the kind of love that looks to be served, the kind of love that says, I'll love you, but what are you going to do for me? And your love is not like that. You proved it to us in every way that you loved us when we were unlovable, when we were outside your will, and yet you sent your son to die on the cross for us. Lord, I ask you to make this message resonate in the heart of our people. Let them reflect on it this week. Let them think about it. Let them pray about it. Let them read scripture that restores this kind of love in our heart. And let them pray, Father, to you, fill me with your love. Help me, Father, to be more loving 
in every possible way. Bless our people. Protect them in every way. And bring them back safely next week to continue to worship you together. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.